BLS or CPR or things like that. So like that was my first kind of like, maybe I like teaching people. And it wasn't necessarily just teaching people, but it was a strategy around making sure that everything was done in the most efficient way in the way that like made things make sense. To kind of kick things off, as a senior director of learning and development, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your responsibilities at your organization? Yeah. So at my organization, we have about 2,000 people, but we also service our clients. So we have probably three to 350 logos, as well as our crowd. So we crowdsource over 2 million people, but about 45,000 of them every month. So within that scope, my team covers the traditional learning and development. So the e-learning, the compliance, mm-hmm. the upskilling, mm-hmm. all those things, things that you think of with training. But my primary focus is, is a lot on leadership development. How do we get senior leaders to their next role? How do we make sure that they're sticking around, but also how are we growing our internal candidates? But we also have engagement that falls under us. So all employee engagement falls under our silo from surveying, monthly quarterly pulses, anything engagement-based falls under us, including things like we do neighborhoods within our organization, which are geographically based groups and communities. So there's a lot of like community management type stuff. Mm -hmm. And then um, diversity and inclusion also falls under us. So we kind of layer DEI on everything that we do. So we have a huge scope within our small team, probably more than we should or could try to handle. I mean, just the L&D piece alone with the number of leaders that we have in the organization, the number of leaders that we're constantly promoting internally, it's a lot. So I always say, you know, we do the traditional learning stuff, but that's obviously a huge piece of what we're doing on a day-to-day basis is developing whatever these courses look like, whether they're e-learning or virtual or Mm -hmm. webinars, workshops, I don't know, anything, a lot. Everybody has a journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey through learning development? How did you get started? How did you kind of end up as a senior director of learning development? Yeah. So I will start by saying in college, I thought that I was going to be a teacher, like a high school teacher or something like that. And I did my student teaching at the YMCA in Boston, where it was all like kids who had been kicked out of regular school. I did two or three months of student teaching there. And I was like, absolutely not. I am not going to be teaching anybody. This is awful. I hate it. Mm -hmm. So I did not ever expect that I would come back to any sort of learning journey whatsoever. But for me, it's been a little interesting. So I come from, I'm 12 years in the Air Force. I have active and reserve time. When I was active, I ran the medical training facility at the base that I was at, which we certified EMTs, paramedics, medics, nurses, docs, their credentialing, things like that, or even anybody else on the base who needed things like BLS or CPR, things like that. So like that was my first kind of like, maybe I like teaching people. And it wasn't necessarily just teaching people, but it was a strategy around making sure that everything was done in the most efficient way in the way that like made things make sense. So I worked at Chase for a long time and I did work in the compliance area there and then doing the new builds, which was a lot of teaching to people. So mm-hmm. those are more informal sort of L&D roles that I took on. 
So when I started out this company down in the Bay Area, we were a fintech mortgage company. I started there when there were 30 people. And when we got to about 100 people, that's when the CEO, I worked as the corporate project manager at that time, was like, hey, we really need to start up this learning and development department. We had a like we made apps like Zillow kind of Redfin, that type of thing. But then we also did traditional mortgage too. So there's a lot of compliance pieces and we just hit a number that we're like, oh, we actually, people are paying attention. So that's when I took on my first formal L&D manager role and started building a department there. And that was really my first experience of going like, okay, what do I need to make this department make sense? Or what do I need that I don't have the skills to, to take on? really just grew it from there. We ended up building a campus in Phoenix and I moved out to Phoenix and we ended up with about 2,500 employees. We scaled really, really quickly. Um, And we ended up with a team of about 20 people there. So I was the global director and I had, I think, six managers under me on that time and each one took a different silo. And then when in 2019, I was on maternity leave after I had my son and then they sold the business which I still not quite sure if that was totally legal for me, but whatever, we're going to, we're going to move past that part. (laughs) Um, And that's, I had been recruited where I am now at Appen Mm -hmm. and um, had gone back and forth uh, on if this is the, did I want to do another sort of start? Well, we weren't a startup. We had a very startup feel because we were newer in the U S and some of Mm -hmm. this, we'd purchased a couple different companies. So we still had a major startup feel. And I was like, do I want to build another department? Is now the right time for me? But I knew that I really loved it and I was good at it. Like being mm-hmm. able to see how I had driven the department and made it into something that was sustainable, that it had a lifeline of its own. And I think the biggest thing that I always asked myself in, in did it make sense with what I had done at my prior company was learning is no longer a secondary piece, but it's like, oh, we're, we're launching this product. Oh, we should make sure that training plays a role in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love seeing that like cherry on top or whatever. And that's why I was like, okay, I'll do it again. Cause I, I was, wasn't sure where I was going to go back to work after maternity leave mm-hmm. just was kind of open. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to build another department. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. And that's cool. where I am now still. So, you know, you talked about working for startups, building, the building departments um, and, I've worked for a number of startups or small companies that that kind of grow very rapidly. And the idea and concept of building things is very much ingrained in that um, culture. Mm -hmm. John and I have talked about learning and development can or maybe should run like a business within an organization. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I think it's obviously going to, be based on what organization that you work for but in a startup in a startup style organization i feel like that's really important to really establish yourself as a a fundamental piece of how you operate so it's like i think about a business in terms of you can't run without human resources you can't run without finance why should lnd be treated any differently but that includes making sure that you are uh, creating like a mission and vision for yourself. You're creating SLAs, which I, SLAs are internal versions of SOWs, basically, with your partners. Um, where you're developing yourself, I like for the teams that I work with, the business unit leaders, to look at us as a almost like a contractor. Like they've hired us in to make them operate better. Um, 
But I don't think that all L&D leaders have that sort of like sales aspect around it. And that's where I say sometimes and maybe because if you don't have that ability to truly like, this is who we are. This is our mission as a department or as a individual business. And here's what we can and can't do. And here's the agreement then you're not going to run as a business. Those businesses go out, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I look at it and it's always going to be based on like the person that's in that role. Because if you're going to just be an order taker and build e-learning and that's what your company wants, okay, cool, that's fine. But you're probably not going to scale or grow in the same way. So once you set that mission and vision, and I really like how you kind of pull that together uh, and that thought process, right? Of like, you're like a consultant, like you're selling this service at your organization, you're setting up SLAs. How do you go about creating a, a strategy around L and D? I mean, obviously you're still part of the overall organization. So you're going to have to look at how do you impact the, the business strategy? Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I mean, I really just break it down in, in different ways, meaning, my company, we have eight strategic goals over the next five years. And I look at that going, okay, here's each business unit's, their goals. And we have kind of a matrix of who has the most impact on particular areas. And I'm looking at that going, okay, so where can we have the biggest influence on that particular team? So you kind of have to roll backwards a little bit, which is essentially cascading goals down in some way. But I don't think we, if you're part of a business, you can't build your strategy without knowing your partner's strategy, right? Like as a consultant, you wouldn't go, I don't care what your mission is. I don't care what your your strategic vision is for the next five years. We're going to do it this way because I know what's best they're going to mold themselves into, do they align together? Do they make sense from um, a partnership standpoint? Like nothing's worse than going in and finding out that your values are different than a company's values. And it's the same thing here is we have to build our own vision and missions based on what the strategy of the organization is. And I don't even just mean strategy in terms of goals. I also mean culture perspective too, because I feel like L&D always has a pretty big impact on the climate and the, within the culture. And, and aligning how we build our department around that. You're looking at it from an organizational perspective and tying yourself to where the business wants to go. Because I do think it's very easy to get caught up kind of in the L&D world, right? Mm-hmm. Like Rory and I always talk about the echo chamber. Like you're in the L&D echo chamber and you're looking at what, is it, or what other organizations are doing and you're thinking, oh, I need to do that at my organization or so-and-so mm-hmm. is doing this. When really it's about doing what you can to enable your current organization to succeed from a a learning perspective, right? Like that's your business is Mm -hmm. learning. And so how do you do that in the most efficient way possible in order for your organization to succeed? How do you think L&D leaders can create a a better relationship uh, with those who who are running the business in order to achieve their goals? Right. Yeah. Um, This is what I actually feel pretty passionately about and And I, buy-in is such a buzzword all the time. And like, if you want them to pay you for something, you need them to want to get the product that you have. Um, And it's one of those things that kind of drives me a little bit crazy because I'm like, of course, of course we're trying to get the buy-in, but how do you get the buy-in? And that's where I feel like so many people miss the mark sometimes because you've probably seen it. We've all done it. hundred percent. All three of us have done this at some point that we go in and we're like, here's the program we want. Here's the potential ROI. Mm-hmm. Here's the expected ramp time. I'm going to throw this out there. Business leaders want to see how you produce. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I come from a sales background at one point, and I feel like that maybe makes me a little bit more, I'm going to say passionate, but I feel like that might not be the actual word here. Um, about this, though, is like, I had talked with you all a little bit earlier about this sort of free trial perspective is, you know, I work in a SaaS model. We're selling a SaaS model. So what do we do? We go out there, we give everyone a 30-day free trial of our, our, our platform. And the ones that are adopting it and messing with it on a weekly basis, those are our top of funnel and the ones that we're going to reach out to first because they are most likely to actually work with us because they were like, oh, this is cool. I liked it. The mm -hmm. ones that sign up for a free trial and then never come back to the platform, they're not our pri priority. Mm -hmm. Same thing when I feel like we're working with strategic or I'm sorry, senior leaders is give them a little piece. And I say this in a, if you have to do it as a demonstration for something, because we've done that before where they're like, well, we think we need videos for X, Y, and Z. So we'll show them a series of different types of videos that we've created. Some are animated, some are with people, some are whatever, whatever it looks like. And that's okay. I feel like that's good. But when you can get that little piece that you can actually take a project and run with it, and I'm not talking about a huge project. I'll use an example is at our company, we, we really needed to get a sales enablement lead. We really needed to build out our enterprise sales onboarding and continuing education. We, we really didn't have much of anything except for, you know, like, here's your partner, go figure it out together. So and I'm, I built out basically a pretty crappy version of a sales enablement onboarding. Like it's nothing that I would actually like produce in real life for people mm -hmm. to do, but it was bare minimum, the MVP, the minimum viable product. And when we had new people come on board, we had to go through their regular onboarding that they're like, no, it's good enough. It ramps up super fast, blah, blah, blah. Sure. You get them through quickly, but you spend this extra three days. So that's what we did. We had two of them go through that particular program and surprise, surprise, their ramp time was actually shorter. Their tickets were that they were submitting for issues with systems they were using were less than the other two. And their time to first sell was decreased. So when I go in and go, look at this A, B test, look how B produced and A produced, tell me you don't need me. And I know you can't do that with everything. I know that's not always going to work, but when you can find those little nuggets, like those are golden and you should grasp those and run with it. And you're going to get the buy-in at some point, but if you get it much faster by producing results up front versus producing potentials up front. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a really great um, way to prove value prop, like you said, especially when you as a learning development department are so frequently understaffed and you can go and say like, <laughs> look, we can do this for you. This is mm -hmm. as far as we can take it. And you can show metrics and increased productivity or decrease in ramp time, decrease time to first deal, all that stuff. And then you can go and say, if you want this to be better, increase mm -hmm. our team, increase our budget or go out and yep. bring somebody in because we know it works. We show it works and meeting the business goals, this, this should be a priority. And so when we talk about metrics, what are important metrics that you think leadership cares about uh, when it comes to learning and development departments? Well, one thing that I have recently started, so I can't 100% talk about its effectiveness, is within the last two quarters, every quarter, I am pulling out what my team did for each business unit. So I send them a super short bulleted based on 
goals. Mm -hmm. So say this team has a culture goal of growth and development opportunities for their team. I will pull out, well, we got three people PMP certified. We got three people green belt certified and seven people black, I'm making these numbers up, black belt certified, um, as well as your teams completed X, Y, and Z amounts of leadership training. And those are, those are a bit more transactional, but I think that's good sometimes because again, it's directly looking at the strategy and here's how we impacted that strategy. And that's how I break it down is I will put the, I put all of theirs, their little image that shows mm -hmm. their percent of ownership, the little circle of, of that particular one. And then I line it up this goal. Here's what we did this goal. Here's what we did. And it's like, it's just such a really neat way for them to look at in a digestible way saying, okay, here's what this team is doing to add value to our team, but it doesn't really measure ROI in that same, same way. It does measure value and it creates that value stream for us. But then for some reason, so many companies care about completion records. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I get it because we need to know what's done. And I, I especially get it for compliance. Um, we need to know how many people are doing what they're supposed to do from a legal perspective. Cool. Okay, whatever. We've essentially moved away from testing in, mm -hmm. in almost all aspects of learning because there's some people who are just better test takers, right? Like they mm -hmm. can pass a test without really having to know that much. So we've moved into much more just like knowledge checks where they do a check, they get it wrong and we say, you know, how about you try again? They get it wrong again and then we just give them the answer because mm -hmm. I don't care about them no, like passing a test. I care about them having three ways. So now they've read it earlier, they looked at the answers and then they were able to actually get the answer again. We've now embedded that information to them three different times. So I've tried to push away from too much of completion records, but focusing on improvement-based methods what I mean by this is like, if we have them go through a systems training, are we looking at decreased tickets? Are we looking at decreased time? Like we have to set up projects in one of our systems. Is there time to set up a project decreased? So focusing a lot more on those, but those are harder to do. Admittedly, they are much harder to do because I don't necessarily see the app see what's going on. So I have to go to their whatever their director or whoever has access to that particular data and go like, okay, Susie went through this training. Can you pull her metrics every month for me for the next two months? Mm -hmm. But it's worth it. It's worth it when they're seeing those records. Yeah. We also got away from course completion rates. Um, I like to think of it as a vanity metric. Like I still provide, mm -hmm. and I think it's still a good data point to provide to yeah. senior leadership because like their their level of knowledge around exactly training and learning and how people learn may not necessarily be like ours. Um, but so we provide that data to them. But in terms of the L&D team and like my boss, the, the greater people team, we typically don't look at completion rates. Um, we find that there are other and better metrics to determine success of training. I want to continue down this path that we've started. So you set up your business, right? And you have experience doing this, which I think is amazing to provide this perspective to our listeners. You've set up your services within the organization. You're aligning yourselves to strategy. You're reporting out on metrics that you feel like are valuable to the organization, starting to build influence and credibility, uh, offering those freebies to, to get people excited about what you do. And then 
you get that project on your desk that's just like, you're like, ah, this is not training. We shouldn't take this request or this isn't going to be helpful to the organization, but somebody really wants it. How do you handle those types of requests? How do you get out of that order taker? Like I gave this to you, you're L&D, do it. How do you kind of work around that? For me, I don't have as much trouble necessarily doing it, but for trying to teach my team to be really true consultants and having boundaries and being protective of their time, um, they don't love doing that. So I do feel like I end up having to kind of like jump in sometimes because I'm like, oh no, we're not going to do that. But I don't say it that way ever, just to throw that one out there, is this is super simple, but doing the five whys sort of RCA, the root cause analysis has been so beneficial to understanding, is this a training problem? Is this really a training problem? And, you know, well, look at the name of your podcast, actually. But realistically, I know it sounds, and if you're not familiar with the five whys, like just Google it. There's a thousand different templates, but it's basically, they come to us and they say, we need to do training on this. And you go, okay, so why is that happening? And they say, it's happening because of X. And then you go, okay, so why is X happening? And you drive it down five levels. And usually by that fifth level, you're going, huh, I don't think that's a training problem. It sounds like that's a process documentation challenge. We should probably move this over to P&P to make sure that they're documenting this process for you properly. We, we make our queue public too, as well as the prioritization on it. So when they're doing their requests, mm-hmm. they can see everything that's ahead of them. And they can also see what it is when they're looking at their request versus something that's on flaming fire, they can be like, you know, maybe I, maybe I don't really, maybe we can have somebody on our team actually write this for us. So, I mean, those are kind of the two ways. The RCA, like I said, I would say 90% of the time works really well. And we're not even saying no to them at that point. We're just going, oh, it really sounds like this is where the solution would be for that particular problem. Um, or we get down to where we go, okay, yeah, this sounds like something that we can definitely help you with. So I'm in full agreement, but a lot of the times, especially when you're starting a department from scratch, sometimes that could be a branding problem, right? So how do you or how have you in the past kind of branded learning and development within an organization that may never have had learning and development before? And now they're like, well, these people do training. Let's just ask them for training. Yeah, that actually, and I would argue that I could have done that better both times I've stood up an L&D department because your your first instinct is like, okay, I've got my... I've got my facilitator and I've got my instructional designer and you're going out there and you're marketing and you're like, Oh, we can do that. We can do that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I don't really know how to do that, but I can Google it and learn how to do that. And I'll take a class and then teach it to other people. And I feel like we as leaders do this to ourselves because we're trying so hard to make sure that we become part of the team and people recognize us. And, and it, in theory, it's great, but then you get a year down the road and you're like, I have so many damn things to do. I'm wearing too many hats and I don't have enough people to do this. So first of all, I would say that if anybody's trying to start an L&D department within their organization, be prescriptive in what you are or aren't going to do. Um, that is probably step number one. And you may feel like you are limiting yourselves in the beginning. And I would say that that's okay because you want to do what you're doing and do it really, really well. I would rather be really great at five or six things than to be like generally okay at a hundred different things. So one recommendation is, is basically building a menu and that's what we have. 
And we basically give them this menu and say, hey, is it a behavior change? Is it a system change? Is it a process? Whatever it was. If so, here are the five things that we can recommend and that we are really good at building for you. So starting small and building that out, because again, once you're able to really like establish what that is and a cadence around it too, not just what you do, but the cadence around it is then you're able to start building on top of that. And then you can start moving into, okay, so now our our strategic goals say that we need to get more leaders internally promoted. So now let's move into leadership training now and, and just slow that down a little bit. It's like determining what business you're going to be in and then expanding and growing once you've exactly. kind of gotten that under your belt. And this ties back, I guess that ties back into what you said earlier in terms of the freebie. If you mm-hmm. have that menu and you have really good examples of things that you've done and outcomes yeah. that you've achieved, then you can use that as as a demo or a, an opportunity to, to share your expertise. Totally. I And I, I was going to say that too, is that we made a, we made basically a demo video. I think it's three minutes long um, that we keep on Yammer and SharePoint and Slack and all over the place, anything that's associated with the LND team. And like it's three minutes, it's short enough that people will watch it. Plus it's like, it's fun. But basically it goes over our major capabilities. Um, Of course we can do more than that, but I had each person on my team talk about like five projects and show examples of those projects in there. So somebody can watch that video and go, oh, I love how that looks. Sounds like you all can do that. Can you help me with that? And so that was just another way to just kind of build out the visual example. Um, But yeah, I mean, those doing those little menus and doing the capabilities videos are really helpful to people because they can get a great idea of what we can offer and what it looks like. We've talked a lot about kind of what you should do and what you can do and and how to move forward with with pulling together your mission, your vision, uh, creating that menu. What about something that maybe didn't go as planned? And then maybe what would you do differently? Because they can't all be like high fives and uh, everything works out, right? No, I've had some terrible projects, (laughs) absolute terrible things. Um, There's one that I, that happened. So it worked really well at my last company. So like, I was like, oh, this is going to be great here. Uh, And it came down to engagement. And then at my last company, they were called engagement ambassadors. And basically after our annual surveys, we nominated two, usually about two people per departments, a few more for larger departments um, to be the leaders for engagement. And they're kind of like community managers in that sense that they could go out and they're like, okay, here are the three rocks for our department. Here's how we want to improve on them. And it's a lot of like working through the IDS problem solving model. And like, here's what we're in control of. Here's what we have influence on. My last company, everyone was like, let's do it. They're all on board. I was like, yeah, we're going to do it here too. It worked great. I've got all the framework for it. I was really comfortable with it. So it felt easy to me. They didn't feel as comfortable. They weren't empowered in the way that they should have been. Meaning like they weren't sure what they were allowed to do or not allowed to do. Um, and they, we didn't necessarily give them the support that they needed along the way. Like they needed to have a lot more like, okay, this quarter you need to send this, you know, corporate communication. You need to advertise what you have worked through, things like that. And it was, it was ugly. It didn't work. And so the following year, I, you know, we did it again. And I was like, here are 10 things that went wrong and here's how we're going to improve them. So second year, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great this year. We figured out what went wrong. We know what's happening. Next year happened and it was also a disaster. 
because we didn't want to put more stuff on managers and leaders. We wanted to be people in the business, right? So they, they could be the change champions, right? Well, apparently nobody felt that way. So we got to the end of the year and we're like, did we, did we actually improve engagement? I, I have no idea. So third year, I was like, give me a system. I need a system. Let me do this on a regular basis. And we're going to put this back on the managers. And so this is the first year that we're using that new system. And so far, it's been really, really great, at least from a communication standpoint and going, here are the issues that we're working on and here's how we're working towards them. Um, I didn't get budget for that system for two years. So that is one thing I would have absolutely changed to start with. Um, but also, honestly, so much of it came down to senior leadership engagement and involvement with this. If you're a individual contributor and you're like, well, I really want to start a newsletter on my team so that we can push this information out faster to everybody instead of waiting for the quarterly town hall. Mm-hmm. But your executive leader hasn't necessarily supported that or even acknowledged or done anything. Then they're like, maybe I'm not going to try to do that. Um, but yeah, there, there should have just been a lot more support. It wasn't great. Yeah. I I just want to share that you're not alone. I've done exactly the same thing where I've kind of spearheaded (laughs) some sort of initiative or change event for an organization and learning was the one who was out front trying to make it happen. Yeah. A a saying that I've picked up that I heard along the way is if, if learning is working way harder than anybody else to make something happen, then it's time to put on the brakes and bring the business back in and reset priorities because we shouldn't be the ones who are taking on the role of leadership. That's not our responsibility. We'll enable you. So you're not the only person who have fallen into that trap. I've done the exact same thing. It happens more often than I think where I'm like suddenly sitting in a meeting. I'm like, what am I doing here? John and I've had these conversations or or I've talked to other people and learning development is that weird role within your work where if it's working, nobody knows what you do. But if it's not working, all of a sudden, everybody's like, learning is to blame. All of a sudden, now everybody knows what learning and development does because it's not working. But once it's working, you're like, why are learning development? What do they do? Oh, they just like sit there and build training. We don't even know if it works, which clearly means that it's working because there are no problems because the training and development is effective because people are now doing what they're supposed to to be doing right um so frequently when you are new ellen uh D team or you want to build a team within the organization that where it doesn't exist anymore asking for budget especially for a back office role can be very difficult yeah. throughout your career whether it's where you're currently at or in the past you know what has worked for you when it comes to asking for budget yeah and this is tough in some ways um at least at the company, the last two companies that I've worked for, I was hired in to build a department. So that already told me that there was going to be some sort of investment proposing what makes the most sense, but almost like, I always know what I want to go with. So I'm going to highlight that one. So I'll always find like an LMS that's more expensive, but also one that's less expensive, but doesn't have the features that we need. And I always try to start with like a little bit of middle ground, but no, I also recognize that sometimes you don't get that even to start with. There's plenty of groups that I'm part of. They're like, we don't have budget for an LMS. What do I do? And everybody has some form of either Google slides or, uh, PowerPoint. You can always go to that. And I would say 
enable yourself to understand how you can use those tools as learning tools. I'm not talking about making a PowerPoint and sending that out for people to learn from, but like you can make PowerPoint into a really powerful learning tool. You can put those onto things like SharePoint if you're using, if you're an office or a Microsoft shop, you can use Stream to record yourself and do essentially simple feedback from, from SharePoint pages and Stream videos, stuff like that. We do something called DEI and Donuts which are one minute learning series on DEI topics. And it's all pushed out through stream. Um, and like people love watching these one minute things that are just like, Oh, that, I didn't know about X, Y, like we did today. I think how to phonetically type your name out, like super simple. And there's a lot of really powerful tools that don't cost you anything outside of what you're already spending. And sometimes you're going to have to start there. You're going to have to make your repository in SharePoint or, again, I'm just using that as an example, wherever that might be. You're going to have to use the kind of crappier looking things. There's also a lot of really, really great free stuff out there. Like, I cannot recommend this enough. Make sure that your company makes you a training inbox or whatever. Sign up for all the free trials and download the stuff that the white papers, the free courses, whatever. Just don't have it go to your own email because that'll drive you insane and put a fake phone number 100% of the time. Um, but you, there's so many free resources out there that you can use to then sort of cannibalize what's in there and develop it in alignment with your own company strategy or your own L&D mission vision. It doesn't matter what the tool is. It comes down to like how you're tracking and pushing that out there. I mean, I don't want to do it on SharePoint, but you can. There's ways to do it. Finding data and using data to your advantage in those circumstances is so important. And it might not be perfect data, but at least it's data to get you started. And then talking about the value. But that's where you can create the value. Like we had our professional services teams doing live training for our clients. It was like 15 hours of training per client. We brought that down to four hours of online learning and then two hours of live learning. So I was like, okay, let me take all their salaries, average it. How much does 15 hours cost us? Okay, so two clients pays for the whole LMS, essentially. So just kind of thinking about it in that perspective and how, how can you align those numbers? Business statistics. Basically, yeah, that was a much better way to put it than my four minutes. Well, I only mentioned that because <laughs> so frequently, and, and again, this kind of like all ties back to running L&D as a business. I mean, I've done my graduate degrees and my research. This is not anything that really gets taught in anything yeah. around learning and development, you know, and that so infrequently do people come with business experience. But that is so what is needed at this level of director, yeah. senior director, chief learning officer, and why so many people succeed at that level because they have that business acumen of understanding not just yep. the learning impact of business, but the monetary impact of learning. I mean, we partner very closely with sales enablement at my mm -hmm. current company. And the first time I'd ever heard anybody say this before, I had pitched an idea to um, my colleague who runs sales enablement. And her response was, I mean, that's a really great idea, but that's the most expensive meeting I've ever heard anybody propose. It's like literally nothing that I've ever thought about in terms of, well, let's do a live training. Let's have these people in it. I've never thought about it in terms of a monetary amount that we're taking these people who 
make X dollars because yep. they're senior level and we want them to do a training for 30 minutes. Right. To me, I'm like, well, like this is their team. Why wouldn't they want to do that training? But from their perspective, well, this is X amount of time, which is X amount of money. Yep. And it's such an important skill for L&D professionals to know. It's so interesting. It was probably it was probably two years ago that I really started thinking in that context. And it was specifically based on me to start with is somebody, I don't remember, it was my old CEO. He was like, why are you doing that? Why don't you hire an admin? And I was like, it's fine. I can do it. And he was like, I don't, whatever, how much I was making. And he was like, this is costing me $75 an hour for you to do this when I could hire somebody for $15 an hour to do the same thing. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I'm obviously making those numbers up too. I'm not. Sh- I'm pretty sure the minimum wage in California was not fifteen dollars then. But that's when I really started thinking about that. And that's for me personally in my own role is like that's kind of where I am. Like while I understand the learning and I know what works and what doesn't work, and like I can obviously roll up my sleeves and do what I need to to build a course or facilitate a course. And I do that sometimes, but it's not my primary role. My primary role is help us make money, save money, and get people into their next positions while keeping people at the company. And that was such an interesting transition in my own just like career development is when I realized I was leaving learning in that perspective and moving into organizational effectiveness with a focus on learning. You got to think about it that way. Yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, you kind of talked about your career and what you've done in the past. You know, what is next for you you know as a senior director of learning development where do you go yeah that's a really good question because i ask myself that a lot well fun fact today we learned that telus if you're at all familiar with telus it's an ai company out of canada put an unsolicited bid to buy our company so that's cool i'm kind of joking but it's it's those types of things i mean there's nothing signed or anything it's just, this is public knowledge it's not obviously it's been pushed out to our board and our we're publicly traded so everyone has to know at the same time but that always comes with its own level of like okay are there going to be redundancies are there going to be opportunities how does that look from that standpoint for me the company that i'm at specifically moving into a vp role would be great but i really feel the shoes of a vp right now we just don't have a role that exists but for me, like moving more towards organizational effectiveness around L&D, um, transformation around like L&D and learning what that looks like. So really like moving towards that strategy side a bit more because I love learning and I love understanding how we're making this, into, we're making the people into like senior leaders or moving up in their role, getting them certified, things like that. That's great. But now I want to make it better at an organizational level. And I run it for the organization, but I want to have the impact there too. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like to not, I just like to move into that side, more organizational effectiveness, kind of change management around it um, instead of just learning. I think that's Focus a great on. shift. It's a, it's a cool idea. And it sounds like a really good opportunity to have that type of impact that you're looking for. Yeah, I don't know who hires for that. Not a clue, but I'll I'll figure it out eventually. (laughs) What about somebody who's looking to take that next step in their career? They want to become the head of L&D. They want that VP role or even just a director role. Uh, Any advice that you would give them? Yeah. I mean, we kind of touched on this a little bit. Like L&D is a pretty 
it's the wild west out there sometimes depending on what organization you're at you're going to have a very different role no matter where you go mm-hmm. and especially if you're at a small organization you're you're going to be a jack or jill of all trades for a while you're going to end up doing that and for better or for worse um so i would kind of what we talked about earlier is like learn to grow into that role slowly don't take on too many things at one time you're going to want to be like i can do this i can do this and i can do this and you'll get there. You will absolutely get there and you'll get the, those opportunities to do that. But start being really, really good at two or three different things in learning, whether that's, you know, instructional design and making sure your instructional designers are the most badass at the company and produce beautiful material every time and developing them so that you can kind of showcase your ability to lead and grow a team that has effective learning. Um, Partnering with your your business leaders too. Um, I I don't know if we talked about this. I don't think we did, but like this this idea of deep learning and deep listening. That go in and sit down with your various teammates, like from different business units, and just be like, I just want to learn what you're doing. I want to learn your job. And having that ability to ask questions and understand without being too overbearing in different ways because when you go to a business leader and you said hey you know i sat in with your team last week and you know they all had talked about the fact that they have difficulty getting through x y and z part of this system and i'd really like to help make that better for you by doing this you show that you're empathetic to them but you also show that you're able to do needs analysis or sort of a root cause analysis there that provides for them but i mean I don't know. It's it's a hard place to get into because I feel like you either get so driven into one corner or so wide of what you do. So like I said, I mean, the biggest thing I can think of is pick pick just a few things that you're going to be really, really good at that align with the learning your organization organization needs to move them to the next step, to push that needle a little bit. Don't do everything at one time. Awesome. Well, this has been really enlightening and a really terrific conversation. Thank you like, so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time to to chat with us. So, no, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And this is a really great conversation. And so it's a wild west out here. So I'm, I love having any partners to, to join the craziness with me.